We want to have a take off from the very beginning. First chapter of Acts from the first verse. We read through the ninth verse. The former treaties have I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandment unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he shewed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Heavenly Father, we need you tonight. We need your direction. We need your influence, Father. And we need the mind of God. So we pray, fathers, we once again feel the sacred place behind this sacred desk, that we would be in subjection to you under the leadership of thy divine spirit. Father, fill our mouth with words that is needed. Let our ears hear it. Master, and let us go forth being and doing what you ask us to do. And we pray all of this in the lovely name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight, it's always, it's always a privilege to be in the house of the Lord. It's a privilege to see you tonight and to enjoy the presence of the Lord. There's so many places that we could be. We could be in the best hospital in town, or we could be in a casket, all right? Or we could be in dire trouble. We could be starving. We could be laying on the sidewalk someplace, uh, doped out or drunk, in Skid Row. We should, could be in all of those places, but God, through his infinite wisdom and mercy, has foreordained that we be here tonight. Amen. Tonight I want to talk about, for a little while, Brother Brown has already told me that I didn't have to dump the whole load. But once you get that thing hoisted up, you know how that is. You that know anything about farming, once you get that hoisted up, it starts coming down. There's not a lot you can do to stop it until it's all gone. So we either have to just not hoist it up <laughs> and get nothing, or we just have to hoist it up and let it all start coming down. 
But truthfully, I wish there were more out tonight. I'm sure there's reasons for almost everybody. But I want to talk about what I feel like and what God has really put upon my heart and mind for the last several days, something that is very important to we as Christian people. I like what Brother Gerald said concerning Bible study and reaching individuals that perhaps maybe are a little shy, have been shied away from coming to the house of God. They've heard so many things about Pentecost that they're just a feel like they'd be a little bit ill of ease, but to reach them with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the primary target anyway. And I want to talk tonight about preparation for the task. I realize we have always had a job ever since Jesus ascended into the heavens. He left his uh, disciples and also those that were born into the kingdom of God, and he set them with a job to do. The church was born. Now, if you'll notice, when they assembled together and he gave commandments, their question to him was, Lord, wilt thou restore again the kingdom of Israel at this time? And Jesus didn't say that the kingdom would not be restored over Israel, the natural kingdom. He just simply said that let's don't talk about that, paraphrasing it. Let's don't talk about that because there's something that you have to do first. And uh, I realized that we have always had a battle, we've always had a task, and the church world has always had a task set before us. But we're coming close to the end of time. How many believe this? I mean, our days are shortened and our days are numbered. What simply means is you look out, and you don't have to be, you, you have to be a blind person not to be able to see it. As you look out and watch the way the world is going, and the way God's people seem to be going, and the lukewarmness that seems to be settling in, and all the humanistic things that seem to be settling around about us, it lets you know that the devil has called in probably more sophisticated machinery than he's ever had before to resist the gospel of the kingdom of God. And we're entering into the last days, as we said, and ideas and strategy and traditions uh, that we used to fight this battle with are simply outdated. I'm going to say the things that used to work, not the power, but the things that used to work are outmoded and outdated, and we're facing a generation that is far different than any generation that's ever been on the face of this earth. They're going to be harder to reach. It's going to be quite a task. But it still is a task. Now that task is outlined. I'm not going to read it, but you can mark it down in Mark 16 and 15. And also in Matthew 28 and 19. Simply says, paraphrasing it, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that commandment to go is still the same. But our environment and our society has changed drastically. The church of today, which you and I are part of, have the awesome responsibility of getting this message into the hearts of this generation. Now what happened back under Granddad's day, he answers for. How they met that challenge and, and uh, uh, used that or headed toward that task that was before them is theirs. But we are living in this generation. 
with the same message to reach their hearts and perhaps the last generation before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you look around and see these children, all the way, I suppose, from uh, little ones on up, little Sam's age on up, you've got to realize that here is a prospect for the kingdom of God. If God tarries that long, they are going to be left in charge of bringing Christ Jesus to this world and to this earth. Perhaps you and I will have a part of it also. But I'm looking at this, the last generation, and this presents a definite challenge. I had to stop and ask us, are we prepared for the task? Are we, have we readied ourselves to reach a generation drastically different than any generation that's ever been on the face of this earth? And there's been a whole lot of things that's went on. But according to statistics, one half of our population is 25 years old or less. And less than 12% of these are churchgoers. Now you might say, well, so what? Well, the thing about that is this puts us in the mainstream or puts the mainstream of our society as having been born during a troublesome, rebellious, pot-smoking, drug-oriented era of the 1960s. Individuals that's born in that area. Now, there are some books called A Future, Future Shock by Alvin, Alvin Toffler and a book called Overload by Leopold Bellick. And in reading these, they reveal the drastic and sudden changes in our society, and they say it's premature arrival of the future. No one has prepared, had been prepared for the drastic change that come upon this world immediately. When drugs took over and when rebellious youth took over and when the morals disintegrated and was thrown out the window, uh, no one was ever prepared for that type of thing. The church wasn't prepared for it, the schools wasn't prepared for it, and society wasn't prepared for it. And so actually we've got a generation that has run amok, a generation that has run wild, a generation that has many, many of them dulled their senses, are completely blowing their mind. And yet we have been given the opportunity as well as the responsibility to reach these individuals. We cannot write them off. We must not write them off. They are out there and they are troubled. Now, no one is prepared mentally or emotionally for this fast-moving society and the current events that's now upon us. Now, all you've got to do is look at your Christian people, ourselves, look at ourselves, and we find ourselves anxious. We find ourselves wavering. We find peace fleeting from us when we know actually peace should be ours. And we find ourselves troubled in the midst of troubled waters and all of these things because these things have come upon us suddenly and we have been coasting along we have been enjoying the blessings of God we have been shouting the victory of God and we have been going and reading our primers instead of developing and graduating into college things I'm talking spiritually 
And a lot of us, or a lot of people, let's say that, have failed to graduate past just being in the first grade or the primer. What used to reach individuals, and I don't want to put down individuals that's ministered years ago, they ministered, they reached, they did something, but what used to reach individuals doesn't reach them anymore. What I'm trying to say is we need some new machinery. We need to find where we're at and uh, shape ourselves up and realize that we're living in a world that's drastically changing. Now, we have problems with young people today. And uh, a lot of times we want to blame the young people, but you can hardly blame them because they've been brought up in this society. Their parents have been unable to cope with this, and why should we expect them to cope with it? Now, young people find it hard to establish and maintain an identity. They can't establish it in school. They can't establish it in their work. They can't establish it in their peer group. They can't establish it in the church. And it's hard for them to establish an identity at home. Why? You might ask, what has produced this generation that we're living? Now, I want to talk to a lot of the parents that's here tonight and some that are not. We need to be careful what we place before our children as number one. Amen, Brother Hosklaw. Because someplace down the road, we're going to rue the day that Christ himself was not presented as number one in the household. We're not safe allowing them to be partakers of this world without instilling in them a truth of Almighty God. Now, this generation that we're living in, a rebellious generation... Uh, kids get by with more now. If I give lip to my parents like I've seen it given in parents today, I wouldn't be able to sit down for a week. Amen. And this raised me right and this showed me respect. But we're living in a disrespectful generation. They don't respect their parents. They're not taught to do that. They don't respect their teachers, and sometimes you can't blame them for that. And they don't respect their elders, and they don't respect society. And you say, well, why don't you? Well, let me show you some things here tonight, whether we're involved in that or not. But statistics show that 27 minutes a day is all the communication that a husband and wife has together. 27 minutes a day where husband and wife can sit down and communicate and get their things together in the rearing of a household. It's not enough. I'll say it again, it's not enough. We'll produce children that know not anything. And children uh, uh, spend from five to eight hours in godless, atheistic-oriented schools being taught humanism and revolution and all of this. And then come home and set before godless television, for the most part, that babysits with our children and uh, gives them from four to seven hours a day of junk that's on the television. And then expect for the church, with an hour or so, if we get that much, expect the church to offset all of this, and it can't be done. This is where our problem is. The church used to be the center of a family affairs. That church was first almost in everything and every area that we walked in, it was church first. Everything else was last, second, third, relegated, but it was church first. This was the hub of community affairs, was the church. And so we have children that's coming up. 
There's not too many programs, and you're aware of that, that's suited for Christian viewing, let alone the impressionable minds of youth. I talk to my children about the rearing of our grandchildren, 16 of them, 14 of them, and they let them watch little things that they feel like there's no harm in. And I point out to this a good, sure way of finding out what's being imprinted upon those minds are to listen to their talk and the vocabulary they have. And you'll see what is impressed most in their mind. Our youngest daughter has allowed, up until just lately, her children to come in and turn on those, uh, well, you might laugh at this, but they're godless cartoons of all sorts with the hideous-looking characters of all types and all of this, that, and something else. And the children begin to mimic these type of individuals, and their talk was the lingo and language of these individuals. We talked for a long time before we finally got them to see that this was impressing their minds more than the power of God. I asked, where is your Bible study? Where is your nightly prayers? Where is something to offset this thing that the world is handing out and feeding our children? What are we offsetting it with? And we have to be truthful. A very small percentage of us is not offsetting it with hardly anything. We're kindly trying to leave that job to the church and it can't get the job done. A very small percent of those under 25 are raised in a godly home or attend Sunday school or church. And children have less than 22 minutes a day communication with their parents. I want you to stop and wonder, and all I ask you to do is check your own life and figure it out how many minutes communication does your child have or individuals you know that have how many minutes a day have they got to communicate with you you see the devil's been before us he robbed us of our time he set society in a fast motion it's hard to keep up with and if we're not careful we won't and trying to keep up with society we're sacrificing the most precious thing God has ever given us and that's the children that he's placed upon us now, we don't lose that responsibility once we graduate and our children are married, we become grandparents, we still have a responsibility. In fact, maybe even a greater responsibility of uh, being the type of grandparent with advice given. I've always told my children, you're out from under my table, you don't have to listen to what I have to say, but I have to tell you anyway. Amen? And never graduate past the idea that dad or mom can still give them godly advice. And they're going to get it whether they like it or not. Now, another statistic, meals are rarely eaten together as a family unit. Very seldom are they eaten together as a family unit. You say, what difference does that make? It makes a lot of difference. Children can sit down there and have a good atmosphere to discuss the happenings of the day to discuss some of the joyful or unfortunate events that need to be shared with those who love you and those that care about you. And that's the children of the house. You know, the Bible tells us that train up a child in a way that he should go, and he will not depart from it. But did you realize that word train means simply to touch the palate of our children? In other words, touch the taste buds in the palate and incite them about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
cause them to desire the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you touch that thing and make them excited about the Lord Jesus Christ, they're never going to depart from the ways of God. They're always going to retain that is there. And because of the tension of this age, in this period of time, a man that sleeps from six to nine hours, his mind rests only 29 minutes and 32 seconds. Now you wonder why the mind is weary when you wake up. You wonder why your body is sleeping, or perhaps resting in a sense. Your mind is active. And this is a drastic change. Uh, medical profession don't understand it. Psychologists, psychiatrists don't understand the drastic change. It's just happened over the last two years that it's captured the mental mind of man, the mentality of man. And when he lays down 29 minutes and 32 seconds, average is the best that a man can get his mind to rest. That doesn't make you able to grasp much the next day, does it? I thank God for the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That when I lay down on my bed at night, that I know that the only thing that can touch me is the power of God to awaken me that I might proceed and pray for someone that needs prayer. Home life is shattered. The husband who is the head of the house is always pictured as a meek and a mousy individual with very little meat. Those old dad is made to look like some type of a dummy. And you say, well, why is this? Not because he is a dummy, but simply because they want to undermine the headship of the family and destroy that. It's humanism at its best. And sometimes we sit back and laugh at it and think it's nothing uh, serious about it whatsoever. But there's a working inside. There's a spirit that is working inside that's undermining the family unit and put to naught the headship, the authority figure, until finally it sits back and allows everything else and everyone else. And right after I, right after I was thinking on these things, the wife and I was in a restaurant. And there was a husband, a wife, and two children there. And a little girl was being unruly, and the father just remained silent. And then the son began to whine for attention, and the mother just barked out and said, You be quiet. I'll, as soon as I raise your father and take care of him, I'll take care of you. And then he proceeded to tell the man this, that, and something else, what he should do. And the man just sat there. Dagwood top, Dagwood type, relevated to that type of thing. I'm here to tell you tonight, saints, women are not supposed to be walked on, but the authority figure is still a man. That's the Bible. Amen. And we need to recognize that and quit letting humanism destroy that which God has placed as our responsibility. Let's analyze our society a little bit tonight. The financial situation is going down. The energy situation is, well, it's in a mess. I mean, we're going real good now, but just wait a while. They know where they're taking us. They know what's going to happen. Uh, they've got us dependent upon them again. We've shut down everything else that the uh, United States has been doing. And then whenever all of this happens, then they're going to unload on us. Government leadership is going down. All you've got to do is just watch and see that there's no morals in our society anymore. The morals of society is going down. And yet, when we look out into this world, 
and sees so many that's headed every direction and then sees so few that know God, we still have to realize that we have to be witnesses to this generation. We are all the world has between obliteration and destruction and Almighty God. Some people say, well, looks like if he don't do something before long, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. There is just one difference. God still has a people. God still has a church. There is still somebody on their knees interceding for our country and for this world. And if the church was to be taken out, the world would immediately go to pieces. But we have to minister and witness to this generation and the product of this generation that's been raised and says if it feels good do it i want to ask us tonight are we prepared for this task have we really ever fully realized the task that is before us what is going to take to reach individuals now there's a definite need to start right i think sometimes we Never start right. If a contractor starts to build a house and he's just one inch off at the beginning, at the beginning the results are drastic if he goes ahead and continues. It has to be done right. And we need to start right. The Bible tells us how to start. Tells us in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. said, God has given apostles. He's given prophets. He's given evangelists, pastors, and teachers and then he says, these are for the, protect, for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, I'm sure you know that, that the comma that they have inserted in there is not in there. Between pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, comma, for the work of the ministry. It's all together for the perfecting of the saints by the work of the saints' ministry. You see, saints have a ministry. A ministry of reconciliation, a ministry of reaching this world that's lost and dying. And why is this? To equip the world to reach a generation such as the world has never seen. Premarital sex is on the rise. It's rampant. Sometimes it looks out of control, ungodly things. And you look at it and you wonder whose fault it is. You cannot blame the children altogether. Because home life has been shattered, prayer life has not been, there has been no communication between parents and children, and we expect, just because we might be in church and maybe raise them in church, we expect them automatically to think about God. They're not going to do it. It has to be a continuous thing, evaluation of your life and theirs, and lay it down before them and live it before them consistently. And let them know what it's like to put God first. If you don't show them what it's like to put God first, they're not about to put Him first. Amen. So premarital sex, trial marriages, that's designed to destroy a sacred institution of God. And yet, some way we just uh, blink at that, and we just more or less maybe frown at it a little bit, and there's not too much said about it. And uh, life goes on. Lifestyle is told by the counselors. Anytime you want to go to a counselor, they'll tell you that you're just fine. That is somebody else's fault because you are what you are and the way you are. I know what I'm talking about. I work side by side with them. I've listened to what they had to say. And the first thing they want to do is just get you in their office and begin to evaluate you. They're going to find out what's wrong with you. Why are you like you are? 
And the first thing you know, grandma or grandpa has been the fault of it, or grandma or somebody way down through there. They don't allow individuals to take responsibility for themselves. And they wouldn't be near as popular if they would point a finger at an individual and say, you are what you are because you allow yourself to be. You see, we could go back, all of us could find some reason to be lousy. We could blame our parents for it. If that's not good enough, we could reach back in, into the uh, way beyond and blame grandma and grandpa because uh, they did this or they did that. And in doing this, we never face the reality of ourselves. Then we have out-of-wedlock babies, and this is an epidemic. This is an epidemic, and very seldom do you ever find any encouragement that this is wrong. Amen. I'm not saying a person will go to hell. I think God can forgive for that. But friend, there needs to be a voice crying out, This is not right. This is immoral. This is against God's Scriptures. And it stood sometimes just a little pat on the back and say, God bless you, go on, do the best you can. Well, friend, you can't do that. Not and be obedient to God's Word. And you find that there's an epidemic. It's raging more than ever before in the history of time. It was a great thing when Rome fell. I mean, it was almost everywhere. But there's no comparison, according to statistics, of our day and the day when Rome fell. And then you have birth control pills being given to health centers without parental knowledge. Society says, this is all right. Parents don't know anything about it. can keep it a secret, and you can't do nothing about it either. My wife happened to work in some of the places where they'd bring the children from the high school into the back door to the home health, and there they would be situated, situated and given pills. Nobody knew what was happening birth control pill. You say, is this happening? Probably happening right in your little town and where you live. Most likely it's going on and we don't seem to be doing anything about it. But we have to reach this generation. A generation that has been taught by its peers and also by those that uh, should be superior to them that this type of living is all right. That because you're living in this type of world. Well, psychology, again, wouldn't be near as popular if it would let mankind face his own problems. Now, we have drugs in grade school as well as in high school and in college. And this has produced a generation. Satan has tried to destroy in the very infancy the mind and the body tissues and the health of that generation which is going to be here to deliver Jesus Christ. It's my opinion, and I think it's biblical, biblical, that the powers of hell is working on this generation because it's the last generation. We've got to reach them so that they in turn can reach someone else. And now some of these uh, drug generation children are parroting children. And these children are coming into the world disfigured. Mentally deficient, and many of them are really too hideous for the parents to view them. They're freaks. And yet, if we're not careful, we put them someplace away. Nobody knows they're there, but these individuals have a soul. And our generation is responsible for that. How do we go about reaching the soul of somebody like that? Do we write them off? Do we just say they're not worth reaching? Or do we have preparations in our lives... To be able to reach this type of a generation. While we was working in Praise Temple in, Oklahoma, or in Norman, Oklahoma, 
It was a college town and drugs were everywhere. And we happened to have the privilege, and I counted a privilege. We happened to have a privilege of working with individuals that had uh, been on dope. And yet they realized this is not the lifestyle they wanted. They knew nothing else. They had no counseling, they had no guidance, and what guidance they got was from the high school or college counselors which tried to make uh, amends for them and try to make excuses for them. And yet inside was a soul that was crying out for some type of release. And we had a big outreach to reach those type of individuals, and we were reaching them. And uh, uh, there were several of them, but especially two that I have in mind. One came and his mind was completely completely burned out. I mean, there wasn't one good, solid, sensible thing that this individual could present to you other than he felt a loneliness in his soul. He felt something was missing in his life. Hardly ever could even say his name, couldn't hardly talk and say he wanted salvation. Some way he just couldn't relate. But inside and between it all, you knew that he wanted the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus came into his life. And Jesus filled him with the power of the Holy Ghost. And he began to speak in tongues. And this individual whom the world has, had, wrote, had written off had decided his mind was fried. He just had a fried brain. There was nothing that anybody could do about it with working on this individual and a desire inside of him to be reached by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Within about seven months that we had him there, he was called to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and knew what he was talking about. And you see what God can do. And if we're not careful, we'll fall off and say they're not worth messing with. Their brain is fried. You can't reach them. Our friend, listen. God can take care of a mind that's been destroyed by the powers of hell. Amen. And we need to recognize they're out there. I don't know how much dope you've got in your town, but plenty. And I know you have a lot of alcoholism. doesn't necessarily fry your mind as fast as dope does, but it does mar your thinking. It does do something to your brain. And this other individual was talking about, uh, named Alvin, was that type of an individual. Hung up on alcohol, had experimented with some drugs, but a very sharp individual. Both called to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are just a few of those that was able to be reached by an outreach that was concerned about this type of individual. Now, if we're not careful, saints, we'll put our sights upon somebody that's intellectual, somebody that's rich, or at least somebody that can talk and make good sense, while these individuals are out there struggling, wanting to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and wanting somebody to relate to them. And I'm asking us tonight, are we prepared to deal with individuals like that? Do we know how to talk to them? Do we know how to present Christ to them? Do we know how to reach the innermost intellect of their heart? Or can we just turn them off? Well, they're out there everywhere. Mentally deficient. Freaks still have a soul. Abortions. Left a lot of young ladies feeling guilty. Society tells you it's all right. Abort the child. Let it go. And then they allow them to do that. And then they leave them alone. When they don't know the struggle that these individuals go through. The guilt feelings of these, these young ladies we've counseled, I don't know how many of them, guilt feelings that they feel because they had murdered their baby. Even if society says it's all right, there's something in the makeup of humanity that says it's not all right. And they're left there, cast aside by society with this feeling. 
Are we prepared to reach them? How do you counsel a young girl, 14, 15 years old, that's been to a mutilating doctor and destroyed the life uh, that's in there knowing it's God's life. How do you counsel it? How do you deal with that type of individual? Are we prepared to minister to them in the way that they would understand? Are we prepared to deal with them in their guilt? And with their guilt comes rebellion. And with that comes disrespect. And you've got to take a lot of things. And if you're not careful, you'll write them off. You'll say, well, they're not concerned. You'll say, well, I never met anybody like this. Let me tell you, they're out there. And maybe we haven't met them because we've not went out of our way to find out where they're at. We need to reach them, friend. Their soul's in trouble. And uh, individuals right now, probably sitting in your town, you might be surprised how close that has guilt feelings and loneliness laid upon them and need a friend. Got places where organs of one society and culture is transplanted into the body of another one. Which is completely against what God says. Freak cults and man-made religions on the increase. Mental disorders and mental and physical breakdowns because the satanic attack on the mind. And Jesus is saying to us all the time, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not the peace as the world gives give I unto you, but my peace. And yet the world is shouting out at us, you can't accept this peace, it doesn't work. Friend, I would like to challenge the Christian church today to try the promises of God. Put them before you and try them and see if they'll work. If they won't work, discard them and go with the world. But friend, they'll work. But they have to be set before us and challenged. And this is the type of society, type of society, that the church must be prepared to deal with. And the question is, in my book, in my mind, is can we? Now, I've been a lot of places. I've ministered for almost 35 years. I've ministered in small towns and large towns. I've dealt with the intellectual and I've dealt with the stupid. And I've never in my life saw a generation like we've got. And I never in my life saw the church more ill-prepared to meet that challenge than I see it all over the world today. I'm not just talking about Bird's Eye Pentecostal Church. I'm talking about the church world as a whole is ill-prepared, does not have the machinery, so to speak, to reach into the very heart and core and soul of generations that's been laid aside. When you go to your fellowship meetings and when you go to your conferences, most of the time, the results you see is ministers my age are a little bit over. And I have to ask myself, where is the young men? Where is the ministry? Where are they at? And then, for the most part, they've camped in the land of the world. The world has got control of them. They have looked for material things and failed to realize that their responsibility is with God. I gave my son a shocker not too long ago over the telephone. He was calling, and my son makes good money. He's head therapist at the hospital in Jackson, Tennessee, and he makes good money. And then he also comes to Illinois, and he consults there and makes some money there. And his wife works at, uh, as a registered nurse, and she makes good money. And I asked him a question. I said, Dan, let me ask you something. If God was to come down and said, Son, I want you to stop this. I want you to find you a church, and I want you to begin building the kingdom of God. What would you do? 
When he said that, I don't have the answer for that right now. And I began to tell him what our life had to consist of. And he said, yeah, but you didn't have this. I said, yes, but when we left St. Louis, Missouri, we had a business of our own. Made more money than in 1960 than I've ever made in my life since. And it means less today. And I had to lay that aside and walk into a little town where there was hardly anybody there in a church that was falling down under the divine guidance of Almighty God and throw these things aside and say, God, this is for you. I have to ask the younger generation and the younger ministers, are you ready to do this? Would you be willing to do this? And you'd be surprised at the cold stares that I get. And yet I am persuaded to believe that this is a must. These individuals hold the key to the end of this age. Jesus tells us that we have to do it. He said, don't worry about the kingdom of Israel right now. You have a job to do. But now there is a relationship between preparation and accomplishment. Now, when you're planning a career in this secular world... You don't just go out and say, I'm going to be a teacher, and you be a teacher. You just don't go out and say, I'm going to be this or that or something else, and I'm going to be it. It takes schooling, and it takes studying, and it takes training. One don't just say, I'm going to be a lawyer, and he's a lawyer. He don't just say, I'm going to uh, not read my law books, I'm just going to rent me an office, and I'm going to be a lawyer. You don't do that. Because there is a preparation for that. And friend, the highest professional calling you can get is the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is preparation for that. There's neology, thank God. And you don't need seminary so much as you need something from Almighty God. And getting your down on your knees and asking God. And it's a continual battle studying to show yourself approved. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. And you also know when you do this that you're going to be ministering to individuals that take you the wrong way. Going to be ministering to individuals that could care less what you have to say. Going to be ministering to individuals that's carnal, natural, and intend to stay that way. But you also know that somewhere, someplace, in that place somewhere is a man, woman, boy, or girl that's interested in what it takes to reach this world for Christ Jesus. And so you give your life. And so you give your prayer. And so you give it up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, friend, let me remind you, ministers are not the only ones that God is asking to do that with. I think maybe tonight God might be asking His church to lay aside some of these other things that we deem some important and live a little simpler life in order to give more time for the Lord Jesus Christ. Say amen, Brother Hoskall. You know it's truth. The powers of hell had made us believe that it takes this or that or something else to make a living. Don't you let him fool you. Somebody said, well, we can't stretch the money, but I want to stand here tonight and tell you God can. Amen. I mean, whatever God has you, and he said he'd take care of you, and whatever you have, God is able to stretch it and make it more than it meets for the need. Now, we have a world out here. Now, we can be oblivious to that world. We can be oblivious to the responsibilities laid upon us. Or we can just jump in and say, All right, I'm calling the Lord. Don't give me any study whatsoever. But this lawyer goes to school, does his study, practices, and he's tested. And then finally God says, You're ready. The Bible tells us that many are called, but few are chosen. 
Now, there's a lot of called individuals. A lot of individuals have the call of God on their life. A lot of individuals that God has tapped on the shoulder and said, I want you. But they're not chosen because they've not been willing to give their life. Not been willing to give up what seems like a good future in order for the best future in this world. And that's one with the Lord Jesus Christ and eternity with Him. Now, David was an example of preparation. Now, did you ever wonder why the lion and the bear? You know, you, you sit back and you look at David's life and you wonder, why did he mention he killed a lion and a bear? Well, that was there so he'd be able to meet the giant. Amen? You remember what he said? Why, I've killed a lion and a bear. Amen? I've done it with this little slingshot, and I'm not afraid of Goliath. So the lion and the bear made him able to meet the giant, his preparation. And why was he wanting to meet the giant? So he could meet Saul. So he could get on the inside with Saul. And why was playing the harp inside the king's house so important? God placed him there. Why? So he could see the duties and responsibilities of the king. To learn about justice and injustice. To learn about war and peace. And to learn to apply the laws of the land. You say, why did he have to be there in preparation to be the king when his time come? You see, David didn't just step into kingship. He was prepared for kingship. He knew exactly what he needed. Now, we can't do less for God in our generation. There's a drug addict. There's a byproduct of drug addictions. There's those that's mentally retarded. There's a harlot, the prostitute. There's a homosexual, lesbian, bisexual, alcoholic. On and on the list goes. And these we can never immediately get on the inside of the church. They simply will not come. Until you get on the inside of their heart. And when you get on the inside of their heart, then you get them on the inside of a church. So the Bible tells us we have to prepare ourselves to go into highways, into the byways, the hedges, to witness to those about the love of Jesus. Jesus did this. He went to the synagogue. Now why did he go to the synagogue? To refresh himself? To hear the law read to him? And because it was something he was supposed to do. But all his work was not in the synagogue. His work was out there in the highways and byways, sandy shores of Galilee. When he went every place and not one time did it ever lower himself. But he always lifted these individuals up to his own standard, his great love and his great compassion. Now we need to prepare for the task that is before us. I realize to you this probably might be an odd message, but it's something God laid on my heart, and evidently it is for a reason. And I'm going to ask you this question, are we prepared for the task that is facing us? We're different than almost any generation that has so far come on the face of this earth. We're dealing with different individuals and society is different than it's ever been. And we're going to be dealing, should be dealing, with individuals who's been brought up rebellious, been brought up disrespectful, been brought up with no moral standards, been brought up in a drug-oriented society. They themselves, for the most part, have tried it. And a lot of them is out there with a brain completely fried. Alcoholics lying in stupors and all of this. Young people, not old men like you would want to see lying on skid row, but young people. Young people whose weekends are spent, for the most part, just simply out on liquor and so on. And hardly can keep their jobs and all of this that is affecting their health. 
And yet, if we're not careful, nobody cares about that type of individual. Yet it's covered the face of the earth. I'm going to say it again. This means that those 25 years or older came into being during the drug-oriented years of the 1960s. They're now espousing children. Children who know no morals, who know no standards, who have been raised, and if it feels good, do it. And they're out there, and they're dying. While we, as God's people, God's church, I'm talking about God's church, have our good times, rear back, cross our arms, and tell everybody how good we are because of the Lord Jesus Christ while the world dies. Are we set in the comforts of the house of God, go home to the comforts of our own house? There's a task before the church. There's a task before us. We're sitting here tonight, 25 or 30 individuals. Should be twice or three times that many. If the world was, con if God's church was concerned about the world as it should be, every seat in this house would be full every time there's an open door where individuals can come and worship God because we would recognize we need that strength. You couldn't eat one meal a week and get by on it. Amen. And yet we struggle and try to eat one meal a week, spiritually speaking, and live spiritually strong. Friends, you can't do it. I'm just crude. I don't know anything else than plain. I rub people the wrong way. I've rubbed two or three the wrong way this week. They let me know it. But I have to be plain. I have to tell you the, what, what little pig eat the cabbage. Because God is going to hold me responsible for the time I'm here to tell you the truth and tell you about your failures. Failures of us as a church and we as individuals. The world is waiting on us. Would you stand with me?